0: Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton.
1: And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we are doing our Q&A episode. So, the questions we got from uh, everybody. So, thanks for everybody who submitted questions. We'll try and get through as many as we can today. Um, Before we get started, just a few uh, housekeeping matters.
0: Yeah, a couple of quick announcements. The first one was we uh, really enjoyed doing these Q&A style things. So, we enjoyed getting your questions. And uh, we're thinking, you know, if you guys enjoy it too, we'll probably do it again in you know, six months at the end of the season. If you want to ask a question at any time, you can head to whatyouwilllearncom slash
1: question and you can uh, record your audio question there. And for those interested, we've recently been interviewed ourselves by Steve Glavesky, the host of the Future Squared podcast, which is another uh, really renowned podcast in Melbourne. So if you're interested in hearing us being interviewed, head there and check it out
0: yeah Steve's a legend he's going to be on our show next week he's launching a brand new book and uh, when you know we're going to interview him he interviewed us and uh, check it out Future Squared and you'll find the episode with Adam Ashton and Adam Jones
1: first question from Leanne
2: hi guys I know this is a really tough question but what's the best thing each of you have learnt from all of the books that you've read and reviewed thank you
0: we have read a lot of books. I think we're up to about 130 or so on the podcast of books that we've reviewed. Um, we're probably over 200 each in terms of the books that we've read. So there's a lot to choose from. I think for me, my favorite lesson and the one that's had a big impact is uh, Seth Godin, The Dip. And it's just the idea that, you know, the we've got this false idea out there that, you know, winners never quit and quitters never win. So we think we should never quit. Just persistence is the way to go. If you're facing you know, any troubles, just keep pushing through it and you'll get there eventually. But he's saying that that's not necessarily true and that winners actually do quit. They quit a lot. They just quit the right things at the right time. So we go through this thing called the dip where at the start of any new project, we see some initial wins, like perhaps where, say the example, we're writing a book. And at the very start, our wins are that we maybe write our first page And then maybe we tell a few friends that we're writing a book and we get some praise from them. So there's some wins. But very shortly after, increased effort does not lead to increased rewards. So that's just the long slog called the dip where you're in that trough of just slogging it away, slogging it away. And it isn't until the very end that you achieve exponential success. So he says that the dip is good because there's scarcity there and the scarcity makes it valuable to get through the dip. But the issue is that people quit right in the middle of the dip. That's the worst place to quit. So my takeaway from that is you've got to either quit before you even get started. So realize there is a dip and realize that if it's not something you're going to commit to, then quit before you even start. Or realize, hey, there's a dip here and I'm committed to seeing my way through it and not quitting right in the middle because that's the worst time to quit. So I love it. The Dip by Seth Godin.
1: That's a ripper, Ash show, Picking the Dip. Mm. Mm. So yeah, yeah, as you said, we've read hundreds of books. For me, I'm going to make a little cocktail of a few different uh, concepts but really mix into the same kind of idea. And it's the idea that uh, the whole world is uncertain and how to capitalise on this uncertainty. So it probably starts with the idea from the black swan. And the whole concept of the black swan was the idea that before uh, the discovery of Australia, the whole world believed that all swans were white and then they discovered Australia and then they found the first black swan. So, all the previous beliefs that all swans were white was topped on its head and then they had a whole new paradigm of belief. So, with this, it's the the understanding that everything we know right now is completely uncertain and this is at at the cultural level but also at the personal level. So, there is a lot of uncertainty with everything you do and uh, what is out there in the world. So, because it's uncertain, we can actually capitalize on this and then really go after positive serendipity and inject a bit of that into your lives. And the way to do this is injecting some other books, things like Lean Startup. So because the world is uncertain, you might want to go out there and take a lot of minimum bets, uh, test a lot of little assumptions about different things. In other words, throwing a lot of shit against the wall, waiting and seeing what actually sticks on the wall and then you can actually go uh, hard on it. So once you know what your your once you've chosen an MVP and you found something that works, then you might pick that as your dip to go forward just to uh, link it to what your answer was, Ash Joe.
0: I like it, mate. I like how they link together there. The next uh, question is a written question from Michael from Australia. What books are you most looking forward to reviewing in 2019?
1: So to be honest, Michael, we don't really plan that far ahead when it comes to uh, the books we're reading. So I'll give you an answer of what I'm generally interested in learning a lot more about in 2019. And for me personally, it's um, all of a sudden really interested in investing a little bit more. So that might be at the macroeconomic level or down to your individual uh, investing and building a, a portfolio. Um, so with that in mind, something where you do have coming up soon is Benjamin Graham, the intelligent investor, uh, which is really... He's known as the godfather of value investing and Warren Buffett sees him as the, his you know, number one and Warren Buffett... Uh, He's done he was, pretty well, man, in terms of investing. Done pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah, mate, we um, don't really plan that far ahead. We haven't got a list of 50 books we're going to read this year or anything. Uh, but some things on Seth Godin's brand new book, This Is Marketing, um, Originals, uh, which is by Adam Grant. I like uh, listening to Adam Grant on podcasts that I've heard. I've actually never read any of his books, so I'm keen to read some of his books. Uh, And yeah, I don't know. I wish I had a better answer, but there we go. Another sort of similar question that we sort of veered towards is uh, Richie from Australia, who asked, how do you decide what to read next? And again, we just sort of, uh, I guess we've got a whole bunch of books that we want to read. I've got two bookshelves, each with six shelves on them. Uh, I've read four shelves, so that means I've got uh, what, eight shelves of books that I haven't read yet. So, we just, uh, we seem to just, every time we buy like eight books and read three of them and just keep adding to the list. So, every time we get interested in something, we'll pick it and then we just uh, pick something off the shelf that we're liking.
1: Mm, absolutely. The unread book list keeps piling on because yeah. I think both of us um, don't see it as a bad investment spending money on books. So, we, because we value it so much, we easily just let the money flow into books and then they just uh, arrive, uh, you know, week by week.
0: Next one is an audio question. Joel from London.
2: Hi Adam and Adam, it's Joel here from London. I um, really love listening to your podcast and I find that it gives me so many tips about how to go about different things in life. Um, quite often I find that when I listen to the podcast you know I'll hear something that you guys say or a different way a book explains something and I always think that's a great idea but then it never happens in day-to-day life and I wondered if you had any advice about how to make sure that you put these key messages into practice?
0: It definitely is a tough one. It's one you've got to balance. Uh, you know, we read a lot and we read so much that sometimes it is hard to apply those lessons, you know, whether it's reading books or listening to podcasts or, you know, watching, um, you know, taking online courses, whatever it is, you're going to learn cool ideas. It might be sometimes hard to think, when can you apply them? Uh, I think um, a good way to do it is to just view it as a test. So say, for example, the, the podcast, you know, maybe if you listen every week and you hear a, a book each week and you'd like one idea and think, okay, for this week, I'm going to do a little test. And the way to do that test is to view it as, say, a mini habit, a book we did a, a fair while back, making something ridiculously small that it's hard not to do. So pick something super, super small that you can do and view it as a test for a week. You know, it might work, it might not. Um, one example could be, say, the most recent book, we did was still like an artist talking about how you don't have to be completely original, but, you know, share other people's work uh, as a way to get started in adding more creativity into your life. So perhaps a one week test is think, you know, for the for the next five days, I'm going to read an article online. And if I like it, I'm going to share it on my Facebook page. So maybe that's your, your one test is how can you apply an idea from steel like an artist? So something super small, you don't have to commit to doing it every single day forever, but find something ridiculously small you can do and view it as a test for a week and uh, see what sticks.
1: So for me, Joelle, I think books fall into two different categories. Uh, we all we read everything as nonfiction. So in every book, you're going to increase your knowledge and increase your understanding and you're going to learn a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, there's a subsection out of that which, with ones that you can take specific actions about, and if it's the ones that you want to take more actions in your life, it is. It definitely does fall into the category of uh, habit formation. If you want to be more consistent in in taking action and take and, and so forth, uh, installing it as a habit will make sure you're not. It doesn't require any near as amount of willpower. So as as showed just said. Any way you can try and form a habit into your life, and it might take 30 to 60 days or or whatever. But once it's in there, it won't take any willpower, and it'll be really easy uh, for whatever you're trying to do. Hey, Adams. I'm Gavin from California. I'm a student at Santa Clara University, but I just spent a semester abroad in Bologna, Italy. And right now, I'm actually recording this from Oslo, Norway. I know that successful people spend lots of time reading and I myself love reading, but sometimes I wonder if I should be spending less time reading and more time working on personal projects or applying lessons from the books that I've already read. Do you have any thoughts on this balance of learning to doing or on whether sometimes it's better to focus on personal projects besides uh, reading for a period of time? Thanks. Thanks, Gavin. For me, If you had, say, in your week, you had one hour spare and you had to choose between two options and one was sharing a scary LinkedIn post about your new business you're about to start or you had that one hour to read, say, The War of Art, which is an incredible book all about beating the resistance to be able to share what you've created. In that case, where it's binary, definitely go out and share the LinkedIn post and spend your one hour on that, like hands down. But I think books shouldn't be seen as something that's stealing time away from the thing you should be taking action on. It should be seen as something to go along with it. So we're not saying go out there and read 14 hours a day where you could be working on something cool. All you need to do is probably read one one hour to two hours a day and then what you do your action on will be, uh, it'll be like a catalyst for the thing you're working on and uh, you'll be making better decisions and be working on better things and so forth. So, they don't necessarily go against each other, but if they do uh, happen to come against each other, always taking action is definitely better than just reading things.
0: Yeah, nice. No, good answer, man. I think um, you got to look at how you're reading and, and why you're reading. I think it's, it's great that you are reading. If you're reading for procrastination to avoid doing things, then you're probably reading too much. If you're reading to, as you say, fuel those personal projects, then that's definitely a good thing. I think the book's Um, sometimes you know maybe if it's a specific book like the 22 immutable laws of marketing then you're learning marketing lessons to apply directly to your project or perhaps it's something like the obstacle is away there's nothing specific that you're going to be applying to your project but it's going to shift your perspective a little bit uh, and change how you look at the world so i think it comes down to uh, why you're reading and how you're reading if you've got a personal project definitely keep working on that and use reading to fuel that rather than uh, to go against that
2: Hello, Adam and Alan. I'm Patrick from Germany, and I love your podcast, despite the fact that you don't like Bismarck and his invention of the social laws and insurance. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so I have three questions for you. Um, the first is, are there any recurring patterns in the books uh, you read about success, work, habits, happiness, and so on, so that you would say stick with these and your life should be better?
0: Uh, cheers, Patrick. Appreciate the gag uh, from The Happiness Equation as well. Uh, Adam Jones apparently doesn't like retirement. <laughs> um, and uh, we're also going to tie in, uh, Kevin from Australia wrote in a similar question. What is the takeaway principle that you've learned from any books that you use most often? So, we're going to sort of combine these two questions here into talking about different uh, areas of our life that the same lessons sort of keep coming up in different sort of books.
1: So we go very wide with our books and in our different areas and categories. I think in the area of business career, if we mold them together, one really important thing that comes up in a lot of books, whether it's So Good They Can't Ignore You, Tribes, even 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing and so forth. But it's this idea of go out there and get scarce skills. If everybody can do what you can do, then there's no scarcity and there's no value in it. So in any way you can, go out and hunt scarcity.
0: Yeah, definitely. Another one is... Uh try things i think it's pretty simple um to say try things but i don't think a lot of people do i think a lot of people get comfortable they're in their routine and they just keep doing what they keep doing so i think it's important to try things so like books like uh the click moment uh poke the box about taking initiative the lean startup black swan uh all these ideas about you know just try different things you don't actually know what's going to work so try a whole bunch of different things so you can find out
1: yeah a bit of positive serendipity might just sneak in there Another thing in the area of career and business will be definitely prioritization. It comes up a lot. I mean, the one thing it talks about, choose only just one thing. What's the one thing that makes everything else uh, easier or irrelevant? Uh, and if you just keep knocking that off and that off, you might only do three or four hours of really productive work each day, but you're really doing the most effective and most difficult thing.
0: Yeah, definitely. Effectiveness over efficiency is a, is a big one that comes up in a lot of books. Uh, in the, I guess, a broader personal development sense, uh, something that comes up a fair bit is like listening and empathy, like say seven habits of highly effective people. One of the habits is seek first to understand and then to be understood or like how to Win friends and influence people talks a lot about how whenever we're talking, we're just waiting for the other person to finish so we can say what we're going to say next and we never really listen to them.
1: Yeah. And even in laws of human nature and the area of empathy, it says like we're, a lot of us are really narcissistic just thinking about ourselves, if we can just transmute that into our brain, just thinking what the other person's perspective mm. is, uh, that can be very powerful as well. Definitely.
0: Another big uh, a common thread uh, that we try to do is getting outside your comfort zone. So, I know the 4-Hour Workweek talks about it. Darren Greatly talks about getting in the arena, the war of art. These are all things about being uncomfortable. So, not just sticking with what you know, but getting outside your comfort zone.
1: Because if you've got goals that are stretching you to be bigger than you are today, the only way to achieve bigger goals is actually to grow yourself and if you really think about it, the only way to actually grow is to do things that are are uncomfortable Mm. and uh, you probably don't want to go too far, too uncomfortable uh, but you definitely want to be going too easy. (laughs) You just want to be Goldilocks, just right, always challenging yourself in some way. Yeah,
0: I like that. Another big one uh, that I think comes up a lot uh, in a lot of different types of books that we read is this idea that we have so many cognitive biases and there are so many limits to our psychology that uh, we really don't know what the hell is going on. So a few things we need to do is have an open mind. Don't be so strong in your beliefs. Ask questions. Be open to different ideas. Keep learning You know, books, podcasts, online courses, wherever you can. Learn from different people, different ideas. And you're never going to know the right answer. So, view your decisions as bets. Don't overcommit. View it as a test. Try
1: it out and then learn as you go because you're never going to know before you start. Mm, so, that Eastern saying, empty cup. Oh, yeah. So, it does it kind of ties in, yeah, with, uh, you know, if you look at influence, persuasion, uh, predictably irrational, win bigly. Uh, you know, there's so many biases and so many things that you don't understand what is really controlling your brain mm. and sends you in the wrong direction to what the objective reality is, you're probably wrong in a lot of different areas. So having that empty cup and open mind, you can actually probably get a little bit closer to objective truth, such as Survivor's of crock of Shit.
2: <laughs> um, the second question is, how did your lives change because of the books you read? For example, uh, one of you stopped smoking, um, one of you quit social media. Is there anything else?
0: Yeah, quitting social media was a big one for me recently. When I say quitting, I deleted the apps on my off my phone. I probably check still maybe once or twice a week, uh, but the notifications I'm getting are getting pretty pretty lame. man. I used to be probably check it ten times a day, and now I'm checking you know once or twice a week, and I'm still not getting mm. too much out of it. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> absolutely, Facebook's getting desperate with their notification. Oh, right, mate? They're mate, just some of those notifications. Uh, it's like someone you haven't spoken to in six years. Uh, posted a photo about yeah. some party or something. I really yeah. don't give a shit. Facebook. Yeah,
0: ridiculous. Yeah, if I open up to eighty-four notifications, there's probably three genuine notifications in there. Um, but in a in a more broader sense, uh, how it's I guess improved or changed my life. I think it's just the way that I'm spending my time and my outlook on life. I think it's more about constant learning, constant growth, uh, but also about viewing it with a bit more of a long-term perspective rather than always looking for the shortcut, quick fix overnight millionaire sort of stuff view it more as a as a long game
1: yeah i think it's similar like you've you, you were probably previously drawn into bullshit Mm-hmm. I must say, so was I. You've been.
0: If you, I think, if you look back to say our first six months and the types of books we did in the first six months, compared to the the last six months we've just done, they're very different sorts of books, and that probably tells it, tells you a mm-hmm. fair bit about yeah where, um, where, we, where we were. Yeah, and what absolutely. We were I think
1: we can both smell a lot of bullshit before it, whether it's in books, whether it be someone speaking at a seminar, whether it be someone speaking on TV or the radio. Uh, when you just get such a broad. Um, breadth of books that you've read, you can really see through them a lot Mm. of the time, which is really big. So, I think in terms of directing yourself, uh, you really generate a really good compass in what direction to go in life. Mm, Definitely. So, yeah, for me, as you said, uh, uh, the big papa was quitting smoking. I can't describe how big a change that has been for me and my family and everyone who gave that book. And again, quitting alcohol again for the third third time, <laughs> if I can say that. But it's gonna work out to be you know multiple years without booze. Uh, another one to be you know similar to smelling bullshit is just a little corny, kind of selfish one, but just the status of seeming
0: smarter. Yeah. No, I think that's a big one, man. I think it's a big one. I think it's probably, you know, we just talked about how it's not good to think that you know everything. Um, in the previous question, <laughs> it's good. Sometimes, <laughs> I think it. De- I think it's, it's definitely a big one, but you. You know, having that status as you read a book a week, it um, definitely adds a lot. And to you can reel off, a,
1: reel off a really um, interesting insight that Yuval Noah Harari worked yeah. for six years <laughs> on or uh, Robert Greene worked for six years on and so forth. You can just reel it out at a barbecue and own it and um, yeah. claim the idea. <laughs> I think the o-
0: overconfidence is is not good, um, but confidence and a, just a strong confidence, is probably a good thing, which comes from reading a lot of books, yeah.
1: And I think a big obvious one is in terms of uh, career choice and... Very similar to a question we got from Jeanette from Melbourne who asked, have you seen a benefit in your professional lives after reading so many business books?
0: Yeah, for me, I uh, was, when I first finished uni and started in a big corporate, I was in a big bank uh, and it was very easy to hide. And it was, uh, I got very good at hiding and I got very good at doing almost nothing and getting away with it, mm. uh, which is not a good thing for the long term, that's for sure. So, uh, recently, I've got out of the big corporate and I'm in a small startup doing marketing where uh, there's nowhere to hide if I don't do something, it doesn't get done. And uh, it's very quickly obvious who didn't do that. Yes. <laughs> so, there's definitely nowhere to hide. I'm also focusing on uh, the skills. So, you know, previously doing spreadsheets and PowerPoints um, you know, and writing reports that never got read. Now, it's uh, a lot more actionable real-world skills that I'm learning along the way. So whilst it's it's good learning at the moment, but it's also good for the future, those skills I'll have as well.
1: Yeah, again, I've got a similar story to you. I straight out of uni, doing structural engineering. I went to a big stereotypically, you know, incredible job working for a big corporate firm, which everyone dreams of working for, you know, the, one of the big dogs. But uh, similar to you, everyone can hide in the big corporate. Nothing really seems to get done. And there wasn't a lot of the things that Dan Ping talks about in Drive that mm. really give you that satisfaction from work which is you know autonomy and purpose and uh and mastery so understanding that and understanding what we were saying earlier about in terms of scarcity i moved a a a big sidestep in my career to what a lot of people would have thought was a bad move but i know without a shadow of a doubt it was a great move because i do have a lot more autonomy and a lot more purpose in my work and i'm learning skills that are, are much more scarce mainly because everyone in corporate sees what i've done as a bad move but um yeah, I'm definitely getting the benefits of scarcity and I don't think I would have got this move if I hadn't of uh, strengthened my compass of what a good direction is, mm. which I've learned from books.
0: Yeah, it's a good overview of yeah, the autonomy, mastery, purpose. I think there's little autonomy, little purpose sometimes. So if you you need to if you're looking for a good job, you're definitely looking for those autonomy, mastery purpose.
1: Mate, yeah, just as a to paint the picture. I went from like working inside a big corporate office and now on a Friday just, you know, working butt naked <laughs> in the top story in the sun uh of my yeah I'm how,
0: if you're looking for a new job that's uh that's, that's one of the criteria that's <laughs> <to> me, <mate. laughs>
2: and um third question sometimes it seems that in your podcast you are really blown away and amazed by a book and even have an interview with the author but when i go over to your website one of you or even both of you rated the book like five out of ten for example so, could you explain how you actually rate the books on your website? Um, yeah, that's it. That's the questions I have. Uh, keep up with the good work and uh, hope to hear you soon.
0: It's a good question. Every book we rate out of 10 and we put on our website, whatyouwilllearncom slash book or if you're on the uh, monthly email updates, we put our out of 10s in there as well. Uh, I will preface it by saying it's uh, extremely subjective um, and it's extremely dependent on on the point in time at which we read it as well. Uh, so, for example, like when I first read Rich Dad Poor Dad, I gave it a 10 out of 10. When we reread it about six weeks ago, it's probably now an 8 out of 10. So, it's very dependent on when I read the book uh, as well. Uh, a few things though that I take into consideration. One is the lessons. Um, that's absolutely vital. I've got to learn something out of the book. Uh, unfortunately, some books would suffer because obviously the first time you hear something, it's brand new, it's amazing, it's a wild new concept second time, third time, fourth time you hear it, it's probably not as impactful. So books, uh, the order in which I read books probably affects the the rating I give the books as well. Uh, I think on top of just the lessons though, I'm sort of half thinking about would I recommend this to somebody else to read? Uh, and one of those things that I take into consideration is it has to be like digestible. Um, for example, like Jordan Peterson, 12 Rules for Life. I thought the 12 Rules themselves were sick, uh, but it was a bloody slog to read, um, Hero with a Thousand Faces was an absolute mission to read. So those books are uh, rated lower because I I wouldn't recommend someone else read it if they hadn't read a whole bunch of books before. And it was just, it was tough to get to the gold. Uh, And on a sort of similar vein, uh, I like books that are as long as they need to be and not longer, like say, uh, an unfortunate example is Deep Work. Obviously Deep Work, after reading, I quit social media. It's had a massive impact on me. But the book was probably 30 pages worth of juice, but I had to read 300 pages to get there. So I'm compare that to say Seth Godin, where it's an 80 pages and you get 80 pages of good stuff out there. I'll probably you know maybe get 70 pages of good stuff out of the 80. Uh, so reading more than I have to, you know, 10 times for you know one tenth of the benefit is probably goes down in my books.
1: Yeah. So I got this same criteria as you, except for that uh, that you need every page of the book to be riveting and. Uh, a little bit like the Harry Potter effect. I didn't, I didn't so, say that. I didn't say every anyone, page has to be riveting. <laughs> <laughs> anyone wants to find out the Harry Potter effects, Maybe that's for the next Q and A. We asked people. That. No one asked. So, but, I so I'm, I'm happy to um, crawl through the, the the 300 page of shit just to get a little bit of gold. I see it as the way I look at it is like 30 bucks, 10 hours. If I get something small from it, something might mean you know a big paradigm shift. So that's looking at the world differently, and you know, a book like Twenty One Lessons for the Twenty First Century is massive in that regard, mm. or it might change your habits. So again, it's not the most riveting uh, book to read and most dense in terms of learnings. Uh, but, you know, Alan Carr and I'd say Deep Work is like that. There's, it's massive habit changes from it, even though it's not densely mm. uh, precise on what the aim of the book is, or even strategy. So Lean Startup. After reading that book, I've got a whole different uh, approach to how I, I look at uh, business and testing ideas and so forth. So in all those cases, they weren't incredibly dense, but there was a huge takeaway from it. So that's the, the main criteria for me. Mm,
0: I think that's a good point. And Lean Startup is probably another good example that I, I love the main concept of the book, um, but there's 300 pages of, of other stuff that didn't add to the overall book. So it probably suffers in my rating. Maybe it's a bad way to rate books. No, it's, you would it, say it is. <laughs> I'd say it is. <laughs> but I'd like say deep work. Um, one lesson, massive impact. I think it's great. Uh, but I don't know if I'd recommend somebody else read it for that book. I'd rather them read the the ten page essay that Cal Newport wrote instead.
1: So I think yeah, this is probably getting down to the, the crux of things. So if you, would be like the. Uh, the ten-page essay, which is incredibly dense and all extremely relevant and incredible—not
0: not dense per se, but like if there's if he's got a point, uh, I want to read the the point for sure. Yeah,
1: but I think for for me, a book three hundred pages got a special thing above a short blog post or a short summary. That there is a lot of tension build up and release in a book, and for I don't know whatever reason, it's hard to explain. A book does sit with you and digest a lot better. I mean, if you compare that to a blog post, I'll basically remember zero blog posts in my Mm. whole life and I'd say that's not quite a 10-page summary but it's on the spectrum closer to that. Mm. So, I think a book does uh, sit with you for much longer and and, and so forth. So, a 300-page deep work I think would have a better chance of someone uh, quitting social media by a, by a, a big factor.
0: Yeah, actually, that's, a, that's probably a fair point. There's a big placebo effect to the books and we talk about that a lot that, you know, some books that we say, oh, this was just someone had a blog and it was a bunch of blog posts and their publisher said, you can't make an 80-page book, you have to make a 250-page book. Subtle so, art and not so giving they, a fuck. That's a so great they, example of that. They fill it up with four times as much content, which is a bit of fluff um, but there is that placebo effect of the book, if it's a big book, it's a, if it's a, you know, it feels heavy and it looks professional, you associate more weight to that argument as opposed to a clickbaity article that you read, you probably dismiss it. So I definitely agree with that as well.
1: Hey, Adams. Love the show. So um, after reading Peter Singer's The Life You Can Save, you both seem pretty convinced that we're morally obligated to help out the poor. I was just wondering, do you donate 5% or 10% of your annual income to effective charities?
0: There are a lot of assumptions built into that
1: question. Yeah, it's a loaded, it's a bloody, it seems like a loaded question <laughs> filled with a lot of skepticism.
0: <laughs> um, we didn't hear who that was from, but uh, I'm pretty confident that was uh, my mate Nick from Melbourne. He came along to our our comedy special that we had a crack at stand-up and uh, he's a big Peter Singer fan, so he got us onto to it. But... Um, yeah, 5% or 10%, mate. What do you
1: do? <laughs> well, let's. Uh, well, that's uh, that's not what Peter Singer recommends for, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in the first place, right? Peter Singer recommends you have a sliding scale to, based yep. on whatever your income is. And if you're below a certain amount, it's no, it, 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 you need to be on a, quite a serious income before it's 5 or 10%. Yeah,
0: I actually, uh, after getting this question, I went on, I just Googled um, how much should you donate Peter Singer and it takes you to his website and... I um, put in my income and I have to donate 1.1%, so
1: take that empty. <laughs> so, I'm roughly that as well. So That's, I, that I'll said at, though, I didn't 1.1%. <laughs> you done nothing? I've, I think Fuck I've done zero. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to shoehorn a rationalization in okay. because I'm a big values grandstander as we learn. <laughs> <laughs> my shoehorn rationalization is something I've started doing is around uh, all my birthdays and all my Christmas presents. Rather than giving presents to my family and them giving me presents, what I've done is I or we choose a charity and their present to me is the donation to charity and my present to them is a donation to charity. So all of a sudden you're donating six or seven hundred bucks for Christmas, six or seven hundred bucks for my birthday, and then all of a sudden that's a (laughs) shoehorn rationalisation in there. So um, done, mate. There we go. Going to heaven. Hi
2: there, Zoe here. I've actually got three questions. My question is We know you're passionate about great books. What other topics are you interested or well versed in? And do you think you'll podcast about those someday? I have another question Have you ever overheard someone talking about the What You Will Learn podcast? What were they saying? And did you surprise them by sharing who you are? My last question is. Is there any topic that great books cover that you just refuse to touch and why?
1: Thanks, Zoe. Um, yeah, I think we both, me and Ashto both agree that podcasts are an amazing thing. If you're really interested in a topic or you want to enhance your career in a certain area and maybe position yourself as an authority on a topic, podcasts are incredible for that. So it's something that I'm using in my career, which is uh, as an engineer in construction. I have another podcast called Wood Solutions Timber Talks. So right now there is massive opportunities in mid-rise timber construction. It's a brand new market. So uh, as on that top on that podcast, we get to speak to all the world's top engineers and architects and so forth on this on this niche topic.
0: Yeah, for me, there's nothing uh, that I'm gonna I would commit to a ongoing full-time podcast. Um, but I do also see podcasts being super valuable. Uh, and for me, I've actually done a whole bunch of other ones. Uh, none of which is still going but say two years ago i self-published a book so i did a thing called the Book podcast where i interviewed 30 self-published authors before doing that Uh, i got obsessed with podcasting so i did the podcast about podcasts interviewing podcasters Uh, again just mainly for learning from some of the best podcasters how they do it. Uh, I love Survivor. Uh, I think the question she said, uh, is there anything you're super interested in? That's definitely Survivor. So I did (laughs) the last two seasons of Australian Survivor. I've done an Australian Survivor podcast as well. Uh, So yeah, we both love podcasts. We both had a crack at a few different ones. Uh, This is certainly our main uh, ongoing regular one, but uh, podcasts are great. Uh, The second question she said, uh, have you ever heard uh, anyone in the street talking about it? Unfortunately not. I've got one sort of half uh, almost story. I did one of Seth Godin's online courses. Um, it might have been the marketing seminar or, or something. And someone in one of the discussion groups, they were talking about how they just heard this, this cool podcast. Uh, you know, there was you know, two, two blokes who read books and share the best stuff and I wanted to sneak in there and I was like, oh, what was the, what was the name of the podcast? Ready for the big reveal. I saying, oh, that was me. Wasn't, wasn't you? <laughs> it wasn't
1: <laughs> us. It was a different show. Oh, fuck. So yeah, right. I missed that one. <laughs> oh, that's, that sucks. I've, been, um, I've had my ears peeled at Dimmick's. Thinking, if there's anyone who's yeah. the speaking about it, it'll be a dimmick, looking around, listening to yeah. conversations, but still nothing. Oh,
0: fuck. I, I laugh because, uh, like, a couple of days ago, I was in a bookshop and someone was in the business section. They were like, oh, I just want to start reading business books now. And I was, I was ready to give Some my counts. recommendations, but yeah. uh, no. back. I've done that as well.
1: <laughs> the third question was Is there any topic that great books cover that you just refuse to touch and why?
0: uh for me i think one specific thing uh the idea of like the law of attraction uh like books like the secret uh there's some very popular books and we haven't really done it and i don't know if we will like we sort of at the very start we're probably both a little bit interested in it uh and then as we've gone on we thought oh this is something we should definitely do and um and then pull to shreds perhaps but it's sort of one of those topics that if people love it they love it and if they don't know about it, then they're probably not going to. I get think it'll too much a, out of it
1: of be I think we've had a few emails as well in the past asking us. You know, people want it Some people want to uh, hear us review shitty raspberry mm. books, mm. but uh, yeah, I think it'd just be a shit episode, man. Yeah, there's nothing good in it. It's like <laughs> yeah. kind of pointless. Uh, another thing we've kind of steer clear of, obviously, is uh, fiction, mainly because the it's it's a little bit harder to review on the podcast, and um, the lessons aren't so obvious from mm. fiction. It's. Uh, is how you interpret a lot of the messages in them. So, uh, it's something we have steer clear of as well.
0: And to finish it off, we've got two more questions. There's sort of a, a fair crossover between the two. Uh, it's a bit of a Venn diagram. They're not the same question. But uh, the question from Jamie from Ireland said, uh, Hey guys, what, uh, my question is which book most disagreed with your personal beliefs you have uh, but you now think that the book has changed your outlook or something in your life? And we'll sort of combine this a bit with the last audio question received as well. Hello, it's Nigel Ashton from uh, Mildura as of now. Just wondering, with all the books you read, most of them seeming to be sort of self-help books, how do you know what's actually good and what's bullshit?
1: Familiar sounding last name there? Sounds like someone I used to... (laughs) Working at a pub with <laughs> you, all three of us worked at
0: a pub yeah, together back in the day. Big knowledge. Uh Yeah, what's good? What's bullshit? Also, what sort of, Jamie's from Ireland's question, what's most disagreed with you? We thought we'd tie them together because there are a lot of books that sort of fly in the face of each other. Like there are books that obviously complement each other and reference each other, but there are also ideas that seem to completely contradict each other. So I think to answer Nigel's question, what's good and what's bullshit, you sort of can't know except by reading a whole bunch of stuff. So by being open to a whole bunch of different ideas and reading lots of books, then you can sort of then start to assess for yourself what's good and what's bullshit.
1: There is a lot of whole bunch of dichotomies with reading. When I first started reading, for example, one concept that came up and seemed to be quite irrefutable was from How to Win Friends and Influence People and it's a lot about just being nice and listening to people and so forth but then you read robert green laws of human nature and he says confront your dark side so with that there are times when you can't be so nice you need to actually let the demon out of you and get a bit of sea into you as well Uh, and (laughs) and being so nice comes at the cost of a lot of assertiveness Uh, another dichotomy was early days when we were reading a lot of the idea of following your passion was such a, a good way to to be if you're doing something that you don't enjoy what's the point you're just going out there and wasting your precious time on earth you should be spending it doing things you love
0: yeah and to completely contradict that was cal newport's so good they can't ignore you which said passion is dangerous passion is a bad thing passion uh follow your passion is actually bad advice so obviously they're two completely contradictory ideas and i think by reading everything and then you can you know get a bit of a sample probably neither is 100 percent right but the answer is probably somewhere in the middle and you can decide for yourself
1: Another one for me was uh, a big one that we've got a lot of was like the working hard, the Gary V style, hustle, 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 work 12 hours a day uh, and then you're going to be uh, beat the rest at getting to the goal before everyone else and beat the rest of the pack and so forth. But at the same time, the dichotomy of that is you really need that space in your life and procrastination does have some kind of value to let your subconscious mind work on problems and so forth.
0: Mm. In the um, the happiness equation, he talked about the the last chapter, he talked about how all advice is both like 100% right and also 100% wrong. And he says that all these cliches, there are so many cliches that tend to contradict to each other, like birds of a feather flock together and opposites attract or absence make the heart grow fonder or versus out of sight, out of mind. And another one is, you know, the pen is mightier than the sword, but then also actions speak louder than words. So it's sort of like there's every cliche there is, and you think, if you think, oh, this is great advice, is cliche, there's going to be another cliche out there that's the exact opposite. So it's sort of uh, that real idea that no one's got the right answer. Everything's probably got some merit to it. So you've got to read a lot, learn a lot and make, a, make up those decisions for yourself.
1: And because they contradict each other, you might uh, feel a little bit confused and uh, disillusioned, but it doesn't necessarily always have to be the case. There are certain times, like life's not just always this pure homogeneous thing. There are times when one book you need to take from and that's completely true and there'll be another time in life where there's a completely different circumstance where you can draw from the other thing. But uh, reading really wide um, and a whole bunch of different books that contradict each other, you can get a hell of a lot out of it. Yeah, it's
0: very true. It's a sort of a tough one, but that's it. Uh, that's the end of our Q&A episode. Big thank you to Everybody who submitted a question, whether written or audio, we really enjoyed this episode. And if you've got a different question that didn't get asked today that you think, oh, I wish I could ask these guys a question, head to whatyouwilllearn.com/slash/question. And uh, if we get enough, then we'll do another one of these sort of QA episodes.